the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. Thank you, our disruptors, for continuing to join us and listen and share the love on social media. We'd love to hear from you when you've listened to an episode and, and you are loving it. And if you are new here, welcome to the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. I am your American dental hygiene host, Melissa. And I'm your Australian hy- hygiene host, Tabitha. Um, I'd like to start tonight's episode off by apologizing. Um, we've had two mistakes with two episodes this last month, and it shows how a little bit busy Melissa and I are. I uploaded in the unedited version instead of the edited version of one of the episodes. I take full responsibility. That was my fault. I've now got some new systems in place not to do that. And we had a bit of a um, stuff up with our editing with the latest episode, so we've to take it down and reload. So um, we're busy working mums, and uh, yeah. mistakes happen, and I apologize. They're actually, um, you know, stuff happens. So thanks for bearing with us. (laughs) Yes. This is real life, people. We are, you know, we're we're two side hustling women and we have a lot of things on our plate and we do the best we can every day and we make mistakes too. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. But I'm owning it. I'm sorry, everyone. It was me. (laughs) All good, babe. It's all good. So this episode um, today we're going to do for epilepsy awareness and um, one of the reasons why we're doing this episode is because my son Ari, who you've heard me talk about, has recently been diagnosed with epilepsy. So I thought it would be a good thing to start talking about. Um, I actually have had a lot to do with epilepsy. My sister is epileptic and I have um, my stepfather's epileptic and so is his sister. So I've seen a lot of epilepsy and I've seen different types of epilepsy as a kid and so it's been something that I'm always been very aware of of stuff that you know and medications and side effects and stuff like that and one of the reasons why my son got diagnosed very quickly was um, he has absence seizures which we'll explain in tonight's episode but even the the neurologist said you know a lot of kids can just be getting in trouble because they think they're daydreaming or not paying attention but I picked it up very quickly because I'd seen these kind of seizures before and I knew straight away I was like I know exactly what this is and um you know when I turned up to the GP they were like what and I was like it's this and she was like okay like how many times have you seen it I was like only a couple but I I could see exactly what it was you could see that like him having like the whole zone out and he had described like a bit of an aura so I was like straight there so we're quite lucky but I realized a lot of people probably don't have the background knowledge that my family has because it's something that's affected us so strongly so we thought it'd be something good to talk about tonight and explain it so we're going to start a little bit with the human brain and we know the brain is made up of millions of nerve cells called neurons and these cells generate electrical impulses and messages to produce thoughts feelings sensations movement and control of body functions so within the regions of the brain the brain is divided into two halves the left and right called hemispheres the right hemisphere controls the left side of the body and the left hemisphere controls the right each hemisphere has four lobes which is the frontal parietal temporal and occipital lobes interesting fact my stepfather has a condition that only one in a million people get and he is the mirror image of 
um, people. So his left-hand side of the brain actually controls his left-hand side. His right-hand oh, wow. controls his right-hand side and his heart is on the right side. So everything in his body is a mirror image of what we are. And there's a special long name for it, like he wears a medical alert bracelet and stuff. Because obviously if you have a heart attack, you don't want to have your paddles put on the wrong side. <laughs> right. Wow. But that's the reason why he had a seizure when I was a kid because his brain um, is controlling differently and the, and the wired caused the seizures when I when he had them when he was younger. But, yeah, I, do, I, uh, I digress like usual. But just like, <laughs> <laughs> so, that's what makes this podcast so fun is our digressions. So, so cerebrum, this is the largest structure of the brain and contains the frontal, parietal, occipital, and temporal loads. It's the center of the intellect, memory, language, and consciousness, receiving and interpreting sensory information and controlling movement. The frontal lobes are our behavioral and emotional control center. They also are involved in voluntary movement, planning, initiation, problem solving, memory, language, I think mine might be broken, judgment, impulse control, and social and sexual behavior. Um, I think a lot of mine in, that were just listed are definitely not functioning. <laughs> um, Pareto lobes are involved with touch, temperature, and pain perception or sensation, awareness of the body, and where it is in space. Temporal lobes are going to play a large role in understanding language, speak, learning, memory, personality, and behavior. Our occipital lobe are primarily uh, responsible for our vision. And the cerebellum is responsible for coordination and maintaining of posture, muscle tone, and balance. Then the brainstem controls basic body functions such as breathing, swallowing, heart rate, blood pressure, consciousness, and whether you're awake or sleepy. Maybe mine's broken and <laughs> I'm never sleepy. <laughs> um, and then and th it's important we understand this because we're going to just talk a little bit about these throughout the episode when we talk about seizures and different things like that. So what is a seizure? Well, seizures and epilepsy are not the same. A seizure happens when a regular electrical impulse in the brain are disrupted, causing them to rapidly fire all at once. Depending on where the seizure happens in the brain, this can cause changes in sensation and feeling, awareness and consciousness, emotions and behavior or movement. Seizures vary and can be very brief or last up to two to three minutes. Most seizures are generally over in less than two minutes. Some seizures are severe and some are very subtle. Under certain circumstances, anyone can have a seizure and not all seizures are diagnosed as epilepsy. And we can think of things like febrile convulsions, like when children get, you know, we see them in children really high temperatures. We can see them in diabetic patients. We can see them in dementia right. patients. So not every seizure means epilepsy. And like I was talking with, with my stepfather who had seizures when I was younger, um, his was caused from the disorder that he has where he's that merit image and, that, uh, and the brain, the way it's wired. So not every seizure is epilepsy. So what is epilepsy? Epilepsy is diagnosed when someone has a tendency to have recurrent seizures. It is a neurological disorder and seizures are caused by temporary disruption of the electric, electrical activity within the brain. Approximately 3 to 3.5% of Australians will be diagnosed with epilepsy at some point in their lives and over 250,000 Australians currently live with epilepsy. Epilepsy can start at any age, although it's more likely to be diagnosed in childhood or within senior years. There are many different types of epilepsies, and people's experiences will differ greatly. Some types of epilepsy are age-limited, and the person eventually stops having seizures. 
For others, epilepsy is a lifelong condition. Approximately two-thirds of people with epilepsy become seizure-free with medication. And that's an interesting point because I would often notice that on patients' medical histories that they would say they had childhood epilepsy and they would often say they grew out of it and they're not on medication anymore. So that that is an interesting fact with that as well. Yeah, my sister had childhood epilepsy and grew out of it. And um, what they explained to us with my son is... um, if the medication controls it, because we aren't further, we aren't long enough into the medication to know if we're going to have control yet, we're microdosing because of the medication um, that we're using can cause a liver and skin reaction. So we have to microdose for six weeks until um, we can build up a body like immune resistance. And then we can, so it's going to take us more than six weeks to see any change because we're, we won't be having any in that microdose time. But if the medication controls it, uh, then 80% of those kids will grow out of it and it'll be gone within two years. If the medication doesn't control it, then it's usually for life, they explained to us. So a large amount of kids who get childhood epilepsy do grow out of it, which is, um, you know, a, which I look as a really positive thing at the moment. I'm like, well, you know, they're good odds. I'm going to look at the positive of those odds. So yeah, my niece is dealing with this right now as well. And it's been, I mean, I call her my niece, but it's my cousin's daughter. And it's been really, it's hard on parents, you know, and yeah. she was sharing with me that she, over the summer, she had a seizure while she was in the pool. Like, that's scary, you know? Yeah, so well, that, it's it's really tough. You have to really watch them. My son went to stay, to stay with grandparents um, for a couple of days. So I went away for work recently and um, I actually said to them, he's not allowed to swim with them because our medication's not controlling anything now. And uh, if he's with me, I feel quite comfortable because I'm swimming with him or I can jump in. But I was like, I don't think 75-year-old Nana can jump in the <laughs> pool and grab you. So we're like, no swimming. But it, yeah. anyway, and long term, there's complications with swimming and driving and things like that as well. So right. it can affect areas of your life. But what can cause epilepsy? Well, the cause of epilepsy can be identified in about half of the people with epilepsy and the other remaining half never really know why they have it. Some known causes of epilepsy include a head injury, uh, stroke or brain hemorrhage, lack of oxygen to the brain for a long period, such as birth trauma, cardiac arrest, drowning or a drug overdose, brain infections, for example, meningitis, encephalitis or brain abscess. Brain abnormalities present at birth, which, you know, technically is what I suppose my stepdad was. Um, Genetic factors, brain tumors or degenerative conditions affecting the brain, such as dementia. And that's certainly something I learned about um, recently. I was looking at a a case where a HIV patient who then developed AIDS and got um, AIDS, dementia and epilepsy combined. Oh, wow. Very interesting. So the different types of uh, seizures and classification. Seizure classification is a way of naming the many different types of epileptic seizures and seizures and putting them into groups. Hey, just the same year that we had our classification system, the Internal League or International League of, Against Epilepsy revised its classifications for seizures to make diagnosing and classifying seizures more accurate and simpler. So look, we're not the only ones that are trying to make things better. Uh, some of the words that you might have heard to describe seizures, such as tonic colonic are still used while others such as partial and grand mal are no longer used yeah i remember when um uh my aunt who has seizures like proper seizures i remember when i was a kid they were called grand mal and if you had like what we call now an absent seizure it was called a petty mal so they have changed the wording a lot because 
I used old wording because I hadn't kept up with it. And then they were like, oh, no, now we call it. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. But I knew I knew all the old wording for a lot of things. Yeah, Doctors which like, just that's what yeah. I was just thinking too because if like if you're an older hygienist like myself and, and out of school for 20 yeah. plus years, I never went back. Like we learned it, we understood it then, but I haven't updated myself as yeah. the changes have been made. So I'm, I'm actually really excited to, to learn the new updated uh, terminology. So doctors look for the following three things when classifying a seizure. Where in the brain the seizure starts, example, the onset, if the person is aware or not during the seizure, and whether the seizure involves movement. So like I was saying, my son has what they now call an absent seizure, so he has no movement. It's like he just freezes in time. Seizures can be divided into three major groups, focal onset, generalized onset, or unknown onset. Most people only have one or two seizure types. Sometimes a person with more complex or severe epilepsy may experience a number of different seizure types. So let's talk about focal onset seizures, or formerly known as partial seizures, means the seizure starts in just one small region of the brain and it may spread to other areas of the brain. These seizures can often be subtle or unusual and may go unnoticed or be mistaken for anything uh, from being intoxicated or to daydreaming. About 60% of people with epilepsy will have focal onset seizures, which are also simply just known as focal seizures. Focal onset seizures can be further divided into two groups relating to a person's awareness during a seizure. Focal aware is defined as the person is being fully aware of what's happening around them, but may not be able to talk or respond, which is for, formally known as a partial, simple partial seizure. These are usually brief and are often called a warning or an aura that maybe more significant seizure may develop, but are actually part of the seizure. Focal impaired awareness, awareness is affected, which is formally known as a complex partial seizure, and the person may appear confused, vague, or disoriented. A focal seizure may progress into a bilateral tonic-clonic seizure, meaning that it starts in one area of the brain and then spreads to both sides, causing muscle stiffening and jerking. And then there's generalized onset seizures, and that means the seizure affects both hemispheres, so both sides of the brain from the onset. Because of this, the person may lose consciousness at the start of the seizure. And generalized onset seizures almost always affect awareness in some way, so the terms aware or impaired awareness aren't used. However, they can be classified further by movement. So there's a generalized motor seizure, and it may involve stiffening, tonic, jerking, clonic, known as tonic-clonic, previously known as grand mal or other movements. So a lot of older high tennis like us probably know the words grand mal. Grand mal, um, right. And then there's generalized non-motor seizures, and these seizures involve brief changes in awareness, staring, or some may have automatic or repeated movements like lip smacking. Interesting. Uh, types of generalized onset seizures. There are many types of seizures in this classification, and they include absence, which is a sudden lapse of awareness and responsiveness that may look brief, like brief staring spells or daydreaming. Tonic-colonic, the body stiffens into the tonic phase, and then the limbs begin to jerk rhythmically, the colonic phase. Myoclonic, which is a sudden single jerk of muscles or a group of muscles that may last no more than a second or two. Tonic can occur when a person is asleep or awake and involves a brief stiffening of the body, arms, or legs, and this person will suddenly fall if standing or sitting. Atonic is brief seizures that can suddenly, uh, can sudden loss of muscle tone, and the person often falls to the ground or will have a sudden head nod if sitting. 
and colonic, although uncommon, they cause jerking in various parts of the body. And if you thought we had a lot of things to remember with classifications, we've got nothing. So <laughs> I think there's a lot more to remember here. So we should be should be really happy about the new classification system. Then there's unknown onset That's seizures. A very so good point. Unknown, yeah, <laughs> unknown onset means the seizure cannot be diagnosed as either focal or generalized onset. Sometimes this classification is temporary as more information becomes available over time through further testing. The type of seizures may be changed to generalised or focal onset seizures. Rarely doctors might be sure that someone has an epileptic seizure but can't decide what type of seizure it is. This could be because they don't have enough information about it yet. So that's why we sometimes, you know, they, like for us, we got kind of got like an initial diagnosis and then they said we'll have brain scans and then we'll have more defined diagnosis, just like when we're like, we might take x-rays or do further testing and we define that diagnosis, they do the same. So seizures can look really different as well. And Melissa's going to explain what's, what the different types can look like. So the focal onset seizures are classified by whether uh, awareness is retained or impaired or altered. If awareness is unknown, then they are simply classified as a focal seizure. Focal seizures retaining awareness, will uh, sometimes these focal seizures does not alter consciousness and the person is aware of what's going on around them during the seizure. These seizures are known as focal aware seizures. People often refer to these seizures as their aura, but they are actually a seizure which may or may not lead onto a more significant seizure. For instance, the seizure may spread to become a focal impaired awareness seizure or evolve into a bilateral tonic colonic seizure. Examples of focal aware seizures include focal motor seizures, which are movements such as jerking, posturing, or stiffening of the arms or legs, twitching of the face, Focal sensory seizures, which are sensations such as numbness, tingling, burning feeling in the part of a part of the body. Focal autonomic seizures involving body changes such as blushing, looking pale or gray, increased heart rate, butterflies in the stomach, nausea or perspiring. Focal cognitive seizures, which include impaired language or thinking or features such as deja vu, hallucinations, visual smell, taste or hearing or illusions of perceptual distortions and focal emotional seizures characterized by feelings of emotion such as joy, sadness, anxiety, fear, or panic. I kind of feel like I have had each and every one of these things happen in my life. I was going to say, we a lot of this I wasn't really aware of with the, um, you know, getting the hallucinations and yeah. stuff like that. Like that happens sometimes. Yeah. And so then there's focal seizures with impaired awareness. And in some types of focal seizures, the person has a change of awareness, consciousness, and behavior. These are called focal impaired awareness seizures, and they can also be called focal seizures. These focal seizures vary greatly depending on where they start and spread within the brain and are frequently not recognized as seizures by onlookers. And many of these seizures begin with a vacant stare, loss of expression, or a vague, confused appearance. Consciousness or awareness is altered and the person may or may not respond. If they do not respond, it is usually inappropriate. If they do respond, sorry, it's usually inappropriate for the situation. Sometimes people have unusual or repetitive behavior such as chewing, fidgeting, walking around or mumbling. The seizure can range from 30 seconds to three minutes. And after the seizure, the person is often confused for a short time and may not remember anything that happened before or during the event. This I'm very aware of because when my stepfather had the seizure when we were kids, we were in the house by ourselves with him. My mum was out and he was making us some dinner. And in the middle of the dinner, he had a seizure. So he fell to the ground 
Oh my gosh, and it's scary. Had a seizure and we were like younger kids. And when he came to, he didn't know who my sister and I were and we, he asked us to leave the house. And so, and he was really, I remember him just walking, he was pacing around the house, really confused. So we just went outside and played on the swings because we were like, oh, whatever, because we're kids. <laughs> and then when my mum came home, it was like dark and we were playing in the backyard. And he's, she's like, what is, the hell is going on? <laughs> and then um, my stepdad like said to her, oh, I didn't pick the kids up from school. And she's like, they're behind you. And he's like, I don't know who those kids are. And oh, so he wow. was like, really confused post the seizure. Um, and then obviously she asked us questions. And we're like, oh, he like laid on the ground and just flapped around everywhere really weird because we didn't know what a seizure was then. We're right, like right. Only in like kindergarten. And so like they kind of pieced together from us what had happened and then like they called an ambulance and stuff like that. But, yeah, he was really disorientated for about an hour post-seizure. Oh, wow, wow. And, and that's hard when you're so little like that, like not knowing what's happening or just, you know, having – your loved one not know who you are and you know your little brain can't really process that kind of thing you know that's just went on the swing yeah. <laughs> like yeah just went outside like whatevs <laughs> <laughs> so um a generalized onset seizures uh the one classification is tonicolonic seizures and a tonicolonic seizure is that uh it has tonic muscle stiffening and a colonic is muscle jerking phase, typically in this order. But variations such as colonic, tonic, colonic can also be seen. Wow. As I'm reading this, I'm just thinking like the classifications like really do blow the doors off of ours. <laughs> tonic colonic seizures are most recognized seizure type and can be frightening to witness. There are slight variations, but typical tonic-colonic seizures will look like a sudden loss of consciousness, sometimes with vocalization or calling out. The eyes, head, and body may turn in one direction. The body becomes stiff, tonic, followed by jerking of the muscles, colonic. If standing, a person will fall. Breathing may be shallow or briefly stopped, which may cause the lips and the face to look bluish-gray. The person will not respond when spoken to. Excess saliva may come from a person's mouth, and there also may be blood if they have bitten their tongue or the inside of their cheek. There may be loss of bladder or bowel control, so the person may wet or soil themselves. The seizure usually lasts two minutes or less, and immediately after the seizure, breathing can be quite labored and sound like heavy snoring, usually less than a minute. After the seizure, there's usually a period of confusion, headache, soreness, and sleep. Yeah. Um, and then there's myoclonic seizures. A myoclonic seizure is a seizure where a single jerk or series of single jerks, very brief muscle jerks, occur. They frequently affect the upper body, neck, shoulders, and arms. A person um, having a myoclonic seizure usually has sudden jerks on both sides of the body at the same time. They vary in severity but can cause someone to spill or drop what they're holding or fall off their chair. If severe enough, a myoclonic seizure may also cause a fall. The seizures are often mistaken for clumsiness before diagnosis. Maybe I've had these. Um, even people without epilepsy can experience myoclonic or sudden jerks just as you are falling asleep. They're normal but not seizures. I have them every night. I have that too. Yeah, I do that all the time. Or even like if I'm if I'm watching a movie with my husband and I, I have a very bad habit of falling asleep like as soon as I stop moving. So yeah. um, I'll I'll jerk and he's like, are you sleeping? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not sleeping. I'm not sleeping. Because that happens to me all the time. Um, yeah. 
tonic seizures. A tonic seizure involves increased muscle tone of the body, usually brief, lasting a few seconds. If the person is standing, they will suddenly fall stiffly to the ground. This is also often termed as a drop attack, a static seizure. Tonic seizures often occur during sleep and in clusters of varying intensity of tonic stiffening. The person is unaware during these events, and at the beginning of tonic seizures with more intense stiffening, people may make an exhalation or a loud sigh sound. With more severe and prolonged tonic seizures, the person may look like they have a tremor or shaking. Tonic seizures often occur in people with intellectual impairment or more complex epilepsies. And there's atonic seizures, and an atonic seizure is a type of seizure that involves the sudden loss of muscle tone. If standing, this can cause a drop attack where the person suddenly slumps to the ground. If sitting, a simple head nod as if the person is trying to fight sleep may be seen. These seizures are very brief, less than two seconds, and may involve the head, body, or limbs. Atonic seizures often occur in people with intellectual impairment or more complex epilepsies as well. And then clonic seizures, less common, is seizing involving bilateral rhythmic jerking and may occur alone or in combination with the tonic increased muscle tone. Activity typically lasting a few seconds up to a minute and the jerking in the clonic seizure is more sustained and rhythmic than seen in a myoclonic seizure. And then absent seizures, and this is the most common absent seizures, is a typical, and they're less common in types of absent seizures that are briefly discussed here. A typical absent seizure starts and ends abruptly, a very brief with altered awareness during the seizure. Absent seizures usually begin in childhood but can occur in adolescents and adults and are easily missed or misinterpreted as daydreaming or inattentiveness. And this is what my son had and what the neurologist was explaining to me was a lot of the time these kids get in trouble for a fair few months but not paying attention in class or they're dropping behind because they're missing little bits of information. So then they might start acting up or, you know, they're always daydreaming and these kids can go through a fair few months of just getting in trouble constantly before someone goes, hang on, this is happening a lot. What's going on? Um, Typically it can look like uh, the seizure suddenly starts with the person stopping their activity. You might see them staring, loss of facial expression or unresponsiveness. Sometimes eye blinking or upward eye movements are seen. The seizure can last for anywhere from 2 to 20 seconds and ends abruptly. The person usually recovers immediately and resumes their previous activity with no memory of what happened in the seizure. These seizures can happen numerous times a day, causing learning to be disrupted, and they generally respond well to medication. And we're seeing my son's having like 10 to 20 a day now that we're counting them. Wow. And yeah, that's a lot of disruption. Yeah. So some less common uh, absent seizure types are atypical absent seizures. And this seizure does not start and end suddenly as a typical absence. It could be more gradual. They are often seen with other features such as loss of muscle tone of the head, trunk, or limbs, often seen as a gradual slump and subtle jerking. These seizures often occur in people with intellectual impairment or complex epilepsies. The loss of awareness may be minor with a person continuing an activity, but more slowly with mistakes. A myoclonic absence is a rhythmic myoclonic jerks of the shoulders and arms. Lifting of the arms during the seizure can also be seen. The myoclonic jerks are usually seen in both arms, but may be one-sided or not symmetrical. Puckering, jerking of the lips, twitching of the corners of the mouth, or jaw jerking can also be seen, and sometimes rhythmic jerks of the head and legs may occur. These seizures last about 10 to 60 seconds typically and can occur daily. The level of awareness varies from complete loss of awareness to retained awareness. An absence with eyelid myoclonia. 
There are apps and seizures accompanied by brief, often rhythmic, fast myoclonic jerks of the eyelids at the same time with an upward movement of the eyeballs and of the head. This can look like fluttering of the eyelids and simultaneous rolling back of the eyes. These seizures are typically very brief and can occur many times a day. Mostly awareness is retained with these seizures. My son gets them as well, like the fluttering of the, the fluttering. eyes. That's what, yeah, that's what really, like I was like, one day I said to him, are you really tired? And he's like, no. Yeah. And I'm like, and it looked like he like couldn't keep his eyes open. And then I just yeah. kind of started seeing that a lot. And we were like, what is happening? Yeah. So then there's unknown onset. So this is a relatively new classification. These are seizures that cannot be clearly diagnosed as focal or generalized and may even be considered both the unknown onset classification if used when a seizure is unable to be classified due to either not enough information an unusual nature of the seizure or an inability to classify the seizures as either focal or generalized. Unknown onset seizures are not truly separate types of seizures, but temporarily labels for seizures types with the onset unknown. As more information becomes available over time or through further testing, the seizure types may be changed to generalized or focal onset seizures. For instance, if a person reports having a tonic-clonic seizure, I <laughs> I was just like, it sounds so funny, doesn't it? Tonic, clonic. I feel like I'm ordering a drink, but sorry. No. <laughs> um, cocktails. But the start of the seizure was not seen. Therefore, it's uncertain if the focal or generalized onset. Each seizure lasts only seconds or two, but they usually occur in clusters several in a row. Epilepsy syndrome. So what is a syndrome? There are many different types of epilepsy classifications, and many people are now given a specific diagnosis or name for their epilepsy, rather than just being told that you have epilepsy. Some types of epilepsy are further classified as syndromes and are defined based on a unique combination of symptoms. An epilepsy syndrome is a type of epilepsy that depends upon family history, what age the seizure start, seizure types, cause and other linked diseases or conditions, how the syndrome progressed over time, presence or absence of brain abnormalities, EEG findings, brain scan findings, such as a CT, MRI, or PET scan, seizure response to medication, and a diagnosis of a particular epilepsy syndrome is useful in deciding the possible treatment outcomes, what course the condition may take, and the possible genetic risk of passing it on to offspring. Some types of epilepsy syndromes are childhood absence epilepsy, childhood epilepsy with centrotemporal spikes, uh, Dravet syndrome, West syndrome and infantile spasms, Deuce syndrome, Rassman syndrome, Lennox Gruster, how do I get this bit? Gruster syndrome? I don't know. <laughs> syndrome, Strug Webner syndrome or juvenile myoclonic epilepsy. And there's many more, but we're not going to watch them all because I don't oh. want to say them. <laughs> Seriously, because when we when we do these episodes, it's either very late at night for Tabitha or very early in the morning for us. So our enunciation skills sometimes are not on point. <laughs> Photosens and then those are really tough ones. So kudos yeah. to you. Photosensitive epilepsy. So what is that? In some people, seizures can be triggered by flashing or flickering lights or by certain geometric shapes or patterns. This is called photosensitive epilepsy. Some people with epilepsy only have photosensitive seizures, while others may have seizure types as well as photosensitive seizures. This is a type of reflex epilepsy, which is seen in 5% of people with epilepsy. And because the seizures are usually triggered by some form of visual stimulation, they could be reduced with a simple avoidance strategies. Medication is usually used to help gain seizure, seizure control. 
Although the prognosis is generally very good, photosensitive seizures may persist. So how does a person know if they've got photosensitive epilepsy? It's important they have a clear diagnosis and keep a good record of the seizure diary so they know what their triggers are. And we know photosensitive epilepsy can be diagnosed by having a routine EEG with a strobe flickering light or pattern simulation or routine EEG should include, um, all of them should include that. Uh, today's lifestyle with the things that we see like going to concerts, all the video games that they're playing. Um, one of the first questions I asked when we were in the neurologist's office is, we're going to Disneyland. <laughs> Can you go on the rides? <laughs> like, yeah. Because I was worried about all the flights, but they actually test straight away. So when my son uh, went for one of his brain scans, it was actually one of the things that they did. They they show certain lights and, and make sure they don't trigger one like that. They actually were able to trigger my son's um, seizures by making him hyperventilate, but he didn't react really? to any, um, any lights or anything like that, which is good. So how is it treated? In most cases, the photosensitive seizures can be well controlled by anti-epileptic medication and avoiding known triggers. What are the triggers? Our modern environment is a rich source potentially of seizure triggering visual stimuli. Typical sources can include strobe lighting, television, electronic or video games or images on the screen, shimmering sunlight, reflection off snow or water or sunlight filtering through the trees while in a moving vehicle, Venetian blinds, striped walls or clothing. Some of the less common stimuli are moving escalators, rotating helicopter blades, faulty fluorescent lights, welding lights, and mobile phone flashes. New potentially provocative sources turn up now more than ever uh, and, and unexpectedly. Yeah, because we've got so many new things happening technology-wise. So yes, one of the other kind of seizures that can happen too is nocturnal seizures, and these are seizures during sleep. So sleep deprivation is one of the most commonly reported seizure triggers by people with epilepsy. Nocturnal seizures, even if only brief, can disrupt sleep and increase daytime drowsiness. Drowsiness can increase the risk of daytime seizures for people who would normally only have seizures during sleep. Nocturnal seizures may be misdiagnosed as a sleep disorder or vice versa. And nocturnal seizures are a risk factor for sudden unexpected death in epilepsy as well or pseudop. Some analeptic drugs can contribute to sleeping difficulties or daytime drowsiness, and sleep apnea is about twice as common in people with poorly controlled epilepsy than in the general population. People with epilepsy and sleep disorder have poorer quality of life compared to those with no sleep disorder, and treatment of the sleep disorder improves seizure control and quality of life. Lastly, sleep disorders can exacerbate seizures and epilepsy can exacerbate certain sleep disorders. So it's like a catch-22. Like if you're having nighttime seizures and you're tired and then it's exacerbating your risk for more seizures and then you're more tired and it's, you know, like it's just that vicious circle, isn't it? So, and here's where, again, dental hygienists can be the MVP of medicine where if you're diagnosing or even just doing a mal and patty screening, and identifying yeah. the potential for, you know, uh, reduced airway, which is going to affect sleep, making that that referral can help get this diagnosis for a patient. So again, you know, step into your role, be that that hero of healthcare. Why do so many seizures happen during sleep? Seizures during sleep can occur with any type of epilepsy. Some people have seizures occurring only during sleep, while others have both daytime and nighttime seizures. People who have only nighttime seizures in their sleep are defined as having nocturnal epilepsy. 
The International League Against Epilepsy defines nocturnal seizures as seizures occurring exclusively or predominantly more than 90% from sleep. It is estimated that about 12% of people with epilepsy have nocturnal seizures, which is super hard for you to diagnose because if you're sleeping, how do you know what's even happening? Yeah, exactly. So why do nocturnal seizures occur? Epileptic seizures are often strongly influenced by the sleep-wake cycle. When we go off to sleep, we have a change of state from awake to sleep. But during sleep, there are many changes of state, which are called sleep stages. It is thought that the change of state has an effect on the brain's epileptic activity in people with epilepsy. Some seizures occur predominantly at a certain stage of sleep. It's believed that nocturnal stages are triggered by changes in the electrical electrical activity in the brain when moving between the different stages of sleep and between sleep and awakening stage. As an example, in wakefulness, our brain waves remain fairly constant, but during sleep, there are many changes. As we go to bed, we shift from them. So wakefulness to drowsiness to light sleep to deep sleep to rapid eye movement sleep, and the whole cycle occurs about three to four times a night. And we can see these dramatic changes on an EEG during those sleep changes. So it almost after our last episode with Angie Stone and, and now going over these uh, topics with epilepsy, it almost seems like sleep studies should be part of what we do in like our annual physical, like it, to really yeah. identify, you know, that should just be a screening that we have. 100%. So next we're going to talk about sudden unexpected death and ep- epilepsy, which is SUDEP. It, and this is when a person with epilepsy dies suddenly and prematurely for no reason death is found. SUDEP deaths are often unwitnessed with many of the deaths occurring overnight during sleep. There may be obvious signs a seizure has happened, though it isn't always the case. Although the risk of SUDEP is very low, the risk increases for people with tonic-colonic seizures, especially if they happen at night or when sleeping. So when we address safety for a person with nocturnal seizures, it's suggested to choose a low bed, avoid sleeping on a top bunk, keep furniture away from the bedside to prevent injury during a fall, consider using safety mats on the floor next to the bed if the person tends to fall out of bed during seizures. seizures. Such mats are similar to ones found in gyms. Wall-mounted lamps pose less safety risks than ordinary table lamps or study lamps, which can easily be knocked over. Smoking in bed is unwise for anyone and particularly so for a person with nocturnal seizures. And there are a number of devices for nighttime seizure monitoring available for home use. They are designed to recognize that a seizure has occurred or that breathing has been disrupted, triggering an alarm so that help can be provided. An alarm or device cannot guarantee the safety of a person experiencing a nocturnal seizure. However, some families have found monitors to be a useful part of risk reduction plan and provide a peace of mind for their loved one. So what's a seizure emergency? Most seizures last less than one or two minutes and will stop on their own. Although many people with epilepsy have good seizure control, one in three people with epilepsy do not, and they continue to have seizures. Some people only have occasional seizures, while others have more frequent seizures. There are a small group of people with epilepsy that have severe or even life-threatening seizures. These seizures are considered an emergency because they can be longer than usual, prolonged seizures, or happen in short succession one after another, so a cluster seizure, with little or no recovery in between. Both of these situations can lead to a medical state called status ellipticus. All of these situations are considered seizure emergencies and can lead to brain injury or even death if not treated quickly. What is status ellipticus? 
Status ellipticus or SE is a prolonged or continuous seizure lasting more than five minutes or seizure clusters, seizures occurring repeatedly without a full recovery in between. Although any seizure type convulsive or non-convulsive can become a status ellipticus, the convulsive tonic-colonic seizures are the most serious form and pose a greater risk of complications. Whether the seizure type SE is regarded as a medical emergency and can be life-threatening or have long-term consequences it if, if it is not treated quickly. Studies show that it is unlikely that a prolonged or cluster seizure will stop after five to 10 minutes without giving medication, and the best outcome is when an emergency seizure medication can be given as soon as possible. The sooner the medication is given, the more likely the seizures are to stop and the better outcome for the person. This is why some people have medications prescribed to be given to caregivers outside of the hospital setting before an ambulance arrives. So what are some of the causes of a status ellipticus? So SE can happen in people with and without epilepsy. Sometimes it's the first seizure the person's ever had. How scary. And sometimes it's caused by a condition or it may happen in someone with epilepsy or an epilepsy syndrome. Up to 5% of adults and 10 to 25% of children with epilepsy will have one episode of SE. The main cause of SE are having epilepsy, febrile seizures, and stroke, but they are many other causes, which include brain injury, low level of anti-seizure medication or withdrawal or changes in anti-seizure medication, specific epilepsy syndromes, serious illness, infection, or septus, diseases such as malaria, encephalitis, brain tumor, or dementia, intoxication or alcohol withdrawal, or sometimes we just have unknown causes. The effects of status ellipticus can happen with any seizure type, so it can be convulsive or non-convulsive. Symptoms will depend on the type of seizure and can range from appearing vague and confused, non-convulsive type, to more serious muscle jerking, which is the convulsive type, and loss of consciousness. Short-term effects can cause bodily changes, which worsen the longer seizures continue. These include increased blood pressure and heart rate, irregular heartbeats, and changes in blood sugar levels. The long-term side effects of SE depend on the cause and how long the seizures continue. Seizures lasting longer than 60 minutes and are convulsive are linked with poorer outcomes. Some of the long-term effects of SE can include memory and learning difficulties, permanent damage of the brain, and continuing seizures. Can you imagine having a seizure for more than 60 minutes? It would oh be my so gosh. scary. Very, not yeah. only for like you as the person, but and the you know your, your people around you just trying to help you. Yeah. Like that's a really long time. So let's talk a little bit about some medications now. So some common side effects that may occur in the first few weeks of taking seizure medications include feeling tired, um, which they warned us when we picked up our medication. Like that can be a huge, uh, a big one where they're just really drowsy for a while. Um, stomach upset or discomfort, dizziness or blurred vision. Some of these may not occur or are tolerated okay if the medication is started at a low dose and increased slowly. And that's what we're doing. We're microdosing and we're increasing our dose each week. They often will go away or over several weeks or months. Different seizure medications tend to produce different types of side effects. So um, when I was looking at it, you know, there's obviously lots of oral side effects as well. And Melissa's going to describe some of them. The, yeah, so some of the oral side effects of epilepsy can include trauma to the tongue from seizures and head injuries from broken teeth, uh, broken teeth that can occur from falls, 
Unfortunately, the drugs used to control this disorder also produce the side, of, side effects in the mouth. One side effect often associated with AEDs is gingival hyperplasia, which we all know is an overgrowth of gum tissue. As an article published in the Journal of Indian Society of Periodontology states, the uh, phenotonin is an AED frequently used in children, and it may cause gingival hyperplasia in 50% of the patients who take it. A study in the Journal of International Oral Health states that AEDs may also cause xerostomia or dry mouth, and since saliva washes food debris and bacteria from your teeth, dry mouth can make you more susceptible to tooth decay. Since dentures are removable and partial prosthetics can break or crack and create a choking hazard during seizures, fixed prosthetics may be a better option for people with epilepsy according to the University of Washington School of Dentistry. So there's so many things that you don't even think about, right? Like yeah. that's such a great point right there. Like if somebody has a seizure and falls or like chops down hard on their teeth and their prosthetic breaks in half, now they could potentially choke on that. And that's a whole nother level of uh, a risk factor right there. So yeah, dentistry once again has a, a large crossover into medicine, yeah. you know. 100%. I was thinking as well. Like, you know, obviously I knew about the gingival hyperplasia, which is only with um, one of the medications. And we talked about several medications um, when we're starting my son on medications because some of them um, can cause a lot of weight gain. And then there's the issues with gingival overgrowth. And um, the one that we've decided to take can unfortunately cause some skin issues. That's why we're microdosing. Um, but yeah, there are lots of different side effects, you know, that you've got to be looking at, but I never even kind of thought about that partial denture coming out and potentially causing even more trauma. Um, right. to, so yeah, there's a lot of things to think about for our patients with the planning of them and, and how we're going to do it. And, you know, also I imagine, you know, injuries, if you're falling to the mouth and face are going to be very common as well, unfortunately. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just... There's, there's so much that, um, you know, I feel like as, as a student, we really just learned about epilepsy and hyper, gingival hyperplasia, but there's so much more to it than that. And um, there's so many connections. And once again, you know, just encouraging you to, you don't, we always say this, you don't have to know it all, but you know, that medical history form, that is, that is like the keys to the kingdom here. And that's the connection. And that's where, again, we get to be MVPs. So really kind of digging into that and, and always asking family history and looking at risk assessments. So it may not be this particular person you're treating, but if there is a family history, if you at least educate them, you know, that they have an awareness for their children and they could do exactly what Tabitha did which is, you know, identify these symptoms early on. And that's really life altering. And that's the magic of what we get to do. So thank you very much for coming on another learning journey with us. And we hope that you're having a great week. And we hope that this episode is uploaded with no editing issues. So yes, yes. And as we are wrapping up uh, this month, we are about to enter October, which is Dental Hygiene Appreciation Month. So uh, be on the lookout for some fun stuff coming your way in October. Right. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you. Keep on disrupting. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers, and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.